This week, we start a new series that we're calling Bad Advice. There's a ton of, of teaching out there that is attributed to Christians, attributed to God, attributed to the church that we just, we just don't find in the Bible. Some of them are, are wishful thinking. Some of them are just straight up harmful. But we keep hearing those same things over and over again. So we're going to take the rest of the summer and work through some of these pieces of bad advice. And then look at how the Bible actually addresses these particular topics. We'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, as we take a look at our first piece of bad advice, which states, God just wants you to be happy. We've heard TV preachers before. We've heard the likes of Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and these others that tell us that God wants us to have health and wealth, that his desire of us is that we be content and happy and have the money to enjoy life in the way that we want to enjoy life. And man, those words are honey to aching ears. The problem is they aren't true. Not in the way that we take them, anyway. Does God want us to be happy? Yes. And we will be one day in heaven when all has been made new. But right now, here on earth, though God isn't pursuing our harm, he also isn't insulating us from heartache and suffering. In fact, not only does God not protect us from suffering, it's something that we are basically promised that we'll go through. So as we begin this series, let's read our text this morning again. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, or 7, sorry, through 12. I encourage you to make your way there if you have your Bibles with you this morning. If not, there, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you, or the words will be on the screen, and you, can, you are welcome and invited to follow along there. We read the word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the flesh the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. When you think of suffering, what comes to mind? When I first started attending youth group, I was living in Hagen, Saskatchewan, Canada, which is basically North Dakota, just a lot bigger. And every year in February, we would have a ski retreat where the Lutheran Brethren youth groups from around Canada would, would converge on Calgary, Alberta. I remember being super excited for my first youth retreat, skiing in the Rocky Mountains. When you grow up and it's so flat that we joke about how you can see your dog running away for three days, like it's, it's exciting to be like, okay, we're going to see some mountains. This is going to be good. It's not cross-country skiing. We get to go down some slopes. I'm excited about this. 
But between Hagen, Saskatchewan, Canada, and Calgary, Alberta, is an eight-hour van ride. We gathered around our church's 15-passenger van, and, and then it was time to figure out seating arrangements. Everybody wants to sit in the back of the van, right? Like farthest from the chaperones, and, and that's where my friends ended up. But, but me? Well, I was, I was pretty small for my age. And so our chaperones decided that I would need to sit next to the biggest kid that was coming on the trip. Kent, Kent was a few years older than I was, and Kent was not small. So Kent had to sit in the first row of seats, which meant I had to sit in the first row of seats. It meant that I had to sit right behind the chaperones. It meant that I didn't get to goof off with my friends in the back. I didn't get to be part of the inside jokes that we were supposed to be sharing all weekend long. Sitting next to Kent meant that I had to deal with having a smaller seat because he was big enough that he took up a portion of my seat. It meant that I had to deal with the weird noises that he made. I had to take part in, in conversations that I didn't really care about and it meant that I had to deal with his gas. And man... Did that kid have gas? Suddenly this trip that I had been so excited about wasn't looking as fun as it once had. The drive that I had been looking so forward to just looked in my seventh grade eyes as an eight-hour drive of suffering. When you all think of suffering, what comes to mind? As I've gotten older, I've had many more opportunities to experience suffering. To date, and I say to date because I do not know what future suffering awaits me, and I know, I know that suffering awaits me. But to date, the single most excruciating time of suffering came in late 2018, early 2019. Before COVID was a household name. Many of you walked beside us during that difficult period in our lives. Many of you walked with us, and we are thankful for that. For you see, in, in late 2018, early 19, my wife Karen was pregnant with what would have been baby number six. But it wasn't long into the pregnancy that the doctors told us there was something that wasn't right with baby. We found out that our child had a condition the doctors called trisomy 18. I'd never heard of that before, but it didn't sound good. It's a condition where the baby doesn't have all the chromosomes that it, it needs to form correctly in the womb. When I was trying to explain the condition to my boys, I told them it was like the baby was a Lego set. But the baby didn't come with all the pieces. And so the baby was forming in my wife's belly, in mommy's belly, and it wasn't being built right. It wasn't being built to last. Pieces, pieces were missing. We were told that baby would most likely not make it to delivery and that if baby did make it to delivery, we would probably only have a few hours before baby would pass. This was hard news. It was a hard time. Ava Hope, our only daughter, was stillborn on January 10th, 2019. Suffering took on a whole new weight for me during that time. Now. Now suffering was going to the funeral of my daughter, who I never even had the chance to really meet. 
Suffering was never getting to find out her favorite color. It was, it was never knowing what style of music would set her feet to dancing. It was never getting to feel her arms around my neck as she gave me a hug. Suffering for me became my little girl being taken before I had the chance to tell her how much I love her. It was hard. It was difficult. It was painful, but it wasn't over. My wife, Karen, the boys, and I would grieve two more miscarriages that year. And you know, it's still hard. It's still difficult, and it's still painful. I've shared a little bit of my story with you this morning. I've shared some of, certainly not all of, the valleys of suffering that I've walked through in my life, but even in sharing pieces of my story, I know that I have not had to live through as much as some of you have or will. I have dear friends that have lost more children than I have. I have dear friends who a part of their journey has been that they've been unable to have children. Now their stories are not done, they aren't fully written, and we don't know how God will continue to move, but I do know that those journeys have been hard. They've been difficult, those valleys of suffering have been deep. I don't know what valleys you have walked through. I don't know what future valleys await you. Some of you have been bullied. Some of you have lost loved ones to sickness. Some of you have lost loved ones to tragedy. Some of you have had tragedy befall you. Some of you have been mistreated. Some of you have felt abandoned. Some of you have been abused. All of you have lived through the teeth of a pandemic felt the fear, the anxiety of the unknown. We've all experienced the loneliness of being separated from those that we love and miss. We've all a deal with the brokenness of the world in one way or another. Life is not fair. It's not easy. It's not all about happiness. It's full of suffering. I'm reminded of the line from the classic movie, The Princess Bride. I don't know if any of us are familiar with that, but if you're not, you should totally go watch that movie. It's fantastic. But Princess Buttercup has been kidnapped by the dread pirate Roberts. And through the course of their conversation, Buttercup tells him of her one true love, Wesley, who was killed by the dread pirate himself. And Roberts responds rather callously about how she must not have loved him very much since she got married to someone else. She snaps at him, you mock my pain. To which the dread pirate Roberts famously replies, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Life is pain. I don't know about pain being the definition of life, but I will concede that life certainly contains a lot of pain. Doesn't it? We fall and hit our heads. We skin our knees. We get sick. We, we feel left out. We experience loneliness. We deal with anxiety. And with those emotions, there is a, a tangible pain. We get our hearts broken. We feel lost. The ones that we love die. We face sicknesses and diseases and chromosomal disorders that, that modern medicine can't do anything about, can't overcome. And so we continue to lose what we love. We continue to face the sufferings of life. Yeah, life is pain. And so that begs the question, where is God in the pain? Where is God in the suffering? Why doesn't he want me to be happy? 
Where was he when my daughter was dying? Where was he when COVID was sweeping the world? Where is he when injustice is being visited upon his people, people he claims to love? Where was he when Russia invaded Ukraine? Where is he in the midst of the pain, the suffering, the abuse that his people experience here on earth in this difficult and hard life? Do you wrestle with those questions? I have wrestled with those questions. Sometimes I still wrestle with those questions in some ways. In some ways, I will always wrestle with those questions. And in wrestling, one of the most underrated elements is is balance and stability. It is the stability and positioning that translates to a dominant wrestler that does not ever break stance. Stability. As we wrestle with God, as we ask Him the questions that we struggle with, as we struggle with how He could allow so much suffering to take place in this world, what do we stand on? What are we using for stability? Friends, though we wrestle with God, the only true place of stability in this world of pain is God. And so as we wrestle or we rest in the foundation of God's word, we rest in the solid ground of the promises that God has made, the promises that we claim in our baptism. Now, it's important to remember that the promises we rest in are the ones that God has made, not necessarily the promise that we want Him to make, right? God does not promise us that we will be spared hardship. He does not promise us that we will marry that individual that we find super attractive. He does not promise us that we'll get the job we want. He doesn't promise us that we'll never face teasing, that we'll never feel lonely, that we'll never feel weak and worn out and discouraged. God doesn't promise us that we'll never feel empty. Despite what some so-called popular theologians have told you, God has not promised to give you health and wealth and happiness. Those are, not, or those are the promises we want him to make, like that would be great, but they aren't real, so we don't find them in scripture. We don't find them in the Bible. So what do we find? What do we find in God's word? We find hope. We find shelter. We even find comfort in the midst of our suffering. As my family wrestled through the pain of losing Ava, Psalm 34, 18a was a big help for us. There we read that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. What a comfort that is. What a promise we have in those seven words. God is not the cause of our suffering, and he has not abandoned us to the pain of our suffering. He is near to us as we go through the pain. He is near to us as we suffer. But there's a part of us that may think, and a part of me that has thought at times, that that's fine and dandy for him, being the shoulder that we cry on. But he isn't here actually feeling it with me. And that's where the awe of God and suffering hits the hardest. For if we think that God isn't and hasn't felt or experienced the suffering that we have gone through, are going through, or will go through, then we haven't really been paying attention, have we? For you see, Jesus left his place at the Father's side. He left a place of power, a place of authority. He left a place where pain and hurt and death could not touch him to be born into our world of suffering. Can you imagine that? Pretend for a minute that you live in a utopia where, where you do not feel pain or hurt or loss or sickness. You never grow up. You never have to pay taxes 
Puberty is a comfortable and enjoyable experience. Your dog never dies. You can run forever and never get winded. Hold in your mind the moment of greatest suffering that you have ever experienced and know that in this utopia it never existed. Now say you're in this utopia and you have the choice to leave it. To go and experience all of these things that are terrible and broken about the lives that we live here on earth. Would you do that? Who would do that? Why would someone possibly decide to do that? But Jesus did that. Jesus chose to leave heaven, the utopia. He left it. He chose to leave his Father's side, to submit to the will of God and be born into our world of suffering. And make no mistake, Jesus suffered. His father was a carpenter, worked with wood and hammers and nails. Jesus got splinters. He banged his thumb. He skinned his knees when he fell playing tag with his friends. Jesus experienced hunger and thirst. He felt bloated. Jesus had diarrhea. He knew what it meant to be uncomfortably hot. He knew he was familiar with the bite of a cold wind. He knew what it was like to just need some time away from people that were driving him crazy. He knew what it was like to be needed and yet feel exhausted. He knew what it was like to have his body pushed to its limits. He witnessed and experienced, was subjected to injustice. Jesus knew what it was like to lose his best friend when Lazarus died. He knew what it was like to be betrayed by those he loved, those he had spent so much time investing in and serving with. He knew what it was what it was like to be let down by his friends. He knew what it was like to, to feel alone, for in the moment he needed those closest to him the most, they were gone, sleeping, completely unaware of the hurt and anxiety that he was experiencing. And Jesus knows what it's like to be wronged. He was submitted to a sham of a trial and convicted before a rigged jury. He was sentenced to a horrible death, a death the Romans reserved for the worst of society. His back felt the pain of the whip as it ripped into his flesh and left him bleeding in agony. His shoulders felt the weight of the heavy wooden cross upon them. He carried that cross through the city and up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he had a crown of thorns pushed into his head and nails put into his hands and his feet. And there he hung, beaten and exposed to the sun, exposed to his thirst, and experiencing excruciating pain. Yes, Jesus knows what it means to suffer, for there on the cross, Jesus died for the sins that have led to the suffering that we have experienced. And there on the cross, Jesus died for the sins that have led to the suffering that we have caused. Sitting next to Kent on that eight-hour car ride from Hagen to Calgary was not the most pleasant of experiences. But hey, we were sitting next to each other for eight hours, so after a while, you get to talking. I hadn't really spent much time with Kent before that trip, hadn't really gotten to know him that well. But as I talked to him, and more importantly, as I listened to him, I began to see Kent in a different light. He talked about how he had a medical condition that made it difficult for him to lose weight. He was taking medicine to try to keep some of his weight under control, and it was the medicine that made him gassy. He talked about how he was uncomfortable with how big he was. He, 
He talked about how even though he was big, he was bullied quite a bit. He heard the things that people would say about him. He felt alone at school. He didn't really have many friends. He talked about how much he loved coming to youth group. Because in youth group, he had felt more accepted and less lonely. And that's what hit me the hardest. Because I knew of Kent from school. We lived in a very small community. I didn't go to a a big school. Everyone knew everyone. I'd heard the jokes made about Kent. And maybe I wasn't typically the one making the jokes, but you better believe that I was laughing at them. If I had opened my eyes, I would have seen how lonely Kent was. If I had opened my eyes, I would have seen the suffering that Kent was experiencing, but I wasn't doing that. I was content to live my life with my own struggles and not focus on the struggles of others. Even if I had been mature enough to recognize what Kent was going through, would I have chosen to get involved? Would I have opened myself up to being the friend of the weirdo and the teasing that would come with it? And what's more, he felt, or he talked about how he felt accepted at youth. He felt accepted at church, but here I was frustrated that I was stuck next to him instead of sitting with my friends. Nobody else had volunteered for my seat. Everyone else had been grateful that it wasn't them next to Kent on that eight-hour ride. So though we may not have outright made fun of him in the ways that Kent experienced at school, we also hadn't accepted him in the ways that we had accepted each other, the ways that we desired to be accepted ourselves. I thought I was the one that was suffering, not knowing the depth of the hurt in Kent's life and feeling convicted and how I had not helped him through it and how I had even participated in it. Yeah, the sin of the world around us, the sin in our own lives, it causes suffering. Our sin causes others to suffer. Each of us can think of times that we have hurt others, maybe a friend, maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, a family member. Maybe someone that goes to church or or to school or at work. We've all caused suffering in the lives of others. We are not innocent, are we? So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Church, friends, as we sit in the recognition of our failings, the reality that though we have our own areas of suffering, we have also been the cause of the suffering of others. Please hear this. When Jesus bore that cross up that hill, his shoulders were not just burdened by the cross, but by the weight of the sins of the world. Jesus took our sin upon himself on that cross. The Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. All the sin that I have ever done, all the sin that you have ever done, all the sin the world has ever known and ever will know was taken upon Jesus on the cross. And there on the cross, he paid the price for it. He paid the price that we could not, the perfect one, the one that left heaven and was born into this world of pain, experienced all the suffering that this broken world has to offer, and he carried all of the sin the world has to offer. He took all of it to the cross, and there he became it. And there he suffered. And there he died. But he did not stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we are reconciled to God. 
The Bible tells us that through faith we are brought into the family of God. That when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that when God looks at us, when He looks at those who believe, He doesn't see the dirty, rotten sinners that we are. Those clothes have been taken. No, instead He sees Jesus. For through faith we have been clothed in the righteousness of of Christ. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord this morning. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has been working in your life. I don't know what pain you've gone through. I don't know what abuse you've been subjected to. I don't know what injustices have been leveled against you. But our God does. And I know that God's promises are true. I know that He is near to the brokenhearted. I do not know if anyone can relate to the sufferings, or I do know that he can, if anyone can relate to the suffering that we have, will, and are experiencing, it's Jesus. I do know that we have sinned against God, and I do know that we are called to repentance for that sin, and I do know that God pours his forgiveness over us as a never-ending river of grace. I know that God loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. And friends, I know that one day suffering will end. The brokenness of this world has an expiration date. If we were to read the beginning of Revelation 21, we would see that this world will pass away and that God will make all things new. Not, not broken, not faulty, not a world of suffering, not a life of pain, but new, perfect, and we can rest in that promise that one day all those who believe will live in the perfection of a new world where pain and suffering do not exist. They will not even be a memory. One day I will meet my daughter. She will no longer be missing pieces. For she will be made new, whole, by the God who loves her so very much. But until that day comes... Let us stand in awe before God as we recognize that Jesus willingly submitted to God's plan and humbled himself and was born into this world of suffering, died and rose again, that we might believe in him and be saved. Let us stand before God in awe that there is forgiveness for all of the sin that we have ever committed. And let us stand before God in awe that we have the promise of a life after death in a world where suffering does not exist. What a fantastic Loving, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen.